0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The St. George's Run and Stop, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martin Tales River alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of complex crisis. like I don't know if we are in it, but I think we're always perpetually in a crisis. I may have had too much coffee, but I am joined as always by the rector of our parish to keep me sane and grounded and balance my arguments. Father Rodney, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Lindsay. I'm doing great. I've had a good day. Um, had a very fruitful meeting this morning. Um, uh, always beneficial when you you know, dealing with a crisis issue, but with people who are looking for possible solutions, uh, possible way forward. A learning from the crisis, Mm. um, which I thought was an important part. And I was critical about, you know, the church not using, um, you know, uh, what should they called? Case studies to to grow itself, because a lot of of the things along the way can be repetitive. So, yeah, I enjoyed being in a meeting like that this morning. Mm. And also just thinking about what the readings and stuff were for our reflection tonight. For tomorrow morning, and also, you know, what is the possible sermon I have to preach uh, about tomorrow, uh, given the liturgy that we've got prepared? My family are um, enjoying the end of the month's uh, shopping sprees, <laughs> so bless them in their journeying with that. But all, all is well, I'm improving in my health. Um, we, we had a wonderful vestry meeting. Um, so we got a new uh, wardens and councillors for St. George's and for St. Mark's and St. Monica's. And um, one of the things that I perhaps need to just put into this um, is that for the first time I am told in the history of the chapelries mm-hmm. that somebody who's member at St. Monica's had become a chapel warden. Oh wow chaplains. that for me is a major step forward uh, for the congregation of some Monica's yes um, and the person that was elected i think she's she's a good person to have no nonsense uh, person uh, but who's also uh, she doesn't she's able to get the job done mm. so I'm very I'm happy for for that development um And very, very happy for the attendance. Although, you know, attendance at vestries are not always something that people want to be part of. But I can promise you both of the vestries has really been a blessing for me, uh, learning for me. And I appreciate the congregation members that could attend. And I also value those who, for whatever reasons, are not able to come to such meetings. That is
0: actually a testament to your management as well, um, developing those uh, within your. Oh, I lost my words there, uh, but developing those in your team um, so that they can go on and do better things. And yeah, um, congratulations to you and to the elected. Uh, this is the third Sunday after well, of Easter. Sorry, I was in church on on the second Sunday of Easter and. Um, Reverend Merle did say from the pulpit that very explicitly that it is of Easter and not after, because this would then be the second Sunday. Anyway, and I just walked (laughs) into that, made that mistake. (laughs) You've pulled out a few things. So the theme, oh love that will not let me go. And then you've added a couple of quotes, some Nelson Mandela stuff that I'm sure everyone has heard before. Um, But the things that caught my eye was this, um, by Tullian, I'm not even going to attempt that surname. Um, Shevidian, I think I did well. Legalism shev- said, shev- <laughs> shev- okay. okay. Yeah. Legalism says God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. And then there's a Shannon Elder quote, you are not what others think you are. You are what God knows you are. So the reading from Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, is all about Saul of Tarsus going on the road to Damascus, having his moment, um, his come-to-Jesus moment, and going forth and stopping, not actually persecuting Jesus from then on, but actually advocating for him, becoming the main person that helped spread the church alongside Peter, and then we'll talk about the beloved disciple later. Um, my question to you, Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman, on your journey into priesthood, which started quite early by, by your own admission, have you ever had a moment where you questioned your identity as a person like where you wanted to be more person than
1: priest or the other way around thank you for the for the question and um, welcome to all those who are listening and participating in this one of the things that i spoke about today just in casual conversation
2: mm-hmm.
1: with um somebody who was at the meeting was i had asked the question of senior priest somebody tired um, we are. We. I, um, I went through the process of personal discernment, then discernment by the church, and then election, and then sent to seminary, and mm. then trained for four years after that in post ordination training and uh, being an assistant priest before I became a rector. And so, uh, yes, I do think about that question. Very often, I think that we as people question our identities every day. Mm. The question "Who am I?" and "What am I doing?" often is the question that comes away as we are engaged, as we engage with the world, and as the world engage us through experiences and through readings and and hearings. So today, I said to this person, "I often wondered just how." In our training, were we molded to be a particular type of priest Mm. whilst we are a particular type of personality? And so when my personality embraces my priestliness, are they sort of gelled together? Or is there a way in which
2: my priestly formation uh, changed my personality mm.
1: Because of this of the of the formational processes or has my personality been able to embrace my training but not lose a sense of who I am because when God calls us does he now suddenly say out of the window goes your personality mm. out of the window goes all your. Prior formation as a person, you know, when you're growing up, in the homes we grew up, the people who are our role models, mm. whose examples have infiltrated our memory, and whose words we still remember and learn from at school, and so on. And so, I ask this question because when I say to the congregation, the Lord be with you, right? Mm. That's Rodney. Exercising a priestly function in liturgy. Yes. But then Lindsay's personality may not be as loud as Rodney's, and he may just say, The Lord be with you. Mm. It doesn't rob the liturgy of its value, but what does my personality, my identity as a priest? Mm. So here is where I came to in my conversation this morning. In worshipping, in leading people in worship, we are, there's a very narrow line between worshipping and leading people in worship and entertaining people. Mm. So so I have to make sure I'm not an entertainer, but that I'm actually leading people to God in worship. Mm. And I often find myself just making sure that who I am doesn't project my priestly function into entertainment, but into when I preach being prophetic mm. and, when, and, 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 and when I lead the worship, being, being aware that the spirit of God helps us to do that and not on my own. So my, my identity is God's gift and that is who I am and that's how I lead but it mustn't be the thing that entertains people. It must be that it leads people in worship. When I came to this parish, for example, I did what I did. People came to the door and I hugged them. Mm. Now, is that the priest in me that cares for this person Pastor, Is that the function of the priest to ensure people are comforted, affirmed? Um, Is that also who I am as a person?
2: Mm. Mm. So,
1: yes, I question my identity ongoingly. And I do that because I take very seriously what text we read are uh, going into Lent, Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. Mm. Uh, we, had, we had just read about his baptism, where he was affirmed as the Son, the beloved son, with whom God is well pleased. Listen to him. And then we go into the desert and he's and he's asked the question if you are. So in other words, you, God has said this over you, but who do you say you are? Mm. You know? What? And and so we have the if thing coming up in those three temptations of Jesus, and I realize uh, just how that question continues to live with us. Yeah. Who am I really, and why do I do what I do, and why do I do it in the way that I do? Mm. and does formation and training change who I am or develop who I am and use it to, mm. to the extent of God's glory?
0: Yeah, I, I, I make money by putting words in other people's mouths. So I, I draft a lot of statements, write press releases on on behalf of people, and it's always a I I have a very strong writing voice. Like, People can pick out my writing in a lineup of like the same stuff, um, and and I'm I'm very aware of that. And I, I've in my personal career, I've made it a hallmark. Um, but then working professionally on the other side of the the divide, where you now writing for other people, I have to be very conscious of telling what needs to be told, and trying to speak it from somebody else's in someone else's voice which is it's it's a it's an interesting challenge especially when you're doing like a couple of them at the same time for like different companies um but yeah like I I I fold my career my profession my training into my personality because as a journalist you can never really switch off like everything is being analyzed. Every word you speak is being edited on the fly. Um, like right now, like it's kind of the the thought is forming, and then the words are being processed before it comes out of my mouth. So I don't say anything untoward, and I don't let my own um, personal habits. Um, <laughs> I I swear like a sailor. <laughs> so it's actually okay. phenomenal that my children uh, don't don't curse as much because I do not censor myself around them. Uh, but yeah I, I I get what you're saying like where, where do you end and where does your training and all of but I, I believe that those things have a deep effect on you which is why I kind of framed that question uh, to start of this discussion about uh, Paul of Tarsus because he was trained as a in the Sanhedrin um he was very much aware of what and who jesus was but from a very particular perspective and then to have that immediate 180 on the road to damascus and then how does that play out in the ministry like i was going to go down the whole route of the historicalness of paul and like how all the epistles are actually written by other people and I I would have made it a discussion about that, but then I was reflecting on it, and it's more a discussion about how have you been explained or have you discovered how does his training impact the ministry that that he started?
1: Yeah, um, uh, very, very interesting. One of the points in just reading up some stuff about Paul was that it would seem as his, any historical documents do not class him as an aristocrat. Yes. Which does mean that his identity was not caught up with wealth, but his identity was caught up as a worker. Mm. Um, somebody who, whose hands um, uh, felt tools and who crafted what he had to do in the professional way that his craft had taught him and apparently he hasn't that didn't leave him so it was he, he was a tent maker which mm. is very much symbol symbolism of of something who's building isn't it mm. um and the apostle was once sent to build the church um uh the tent is a, there's a, some symbolism of the tent in the old testament as well so so uh, whether that was purposely and God called him purposely because he was a tent maker. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, but as a Pharisee, as somebody, and I, I didn't explore this understanding because I never thought of it before. Did you have to be an aristocrat to be part of the Sanhedrin Mm. and part of the Pharisees group? If Paul wasn't possibly because his devotion as a Jew his devotion to learning and studying the Torah um, and all of the prophets and stuff. And he's he had he, he had a brilliance in order to explain it that others were motivated and inspired by the way that he captured the two spirit of being a Pharisee. Let me just add: the understanding of the term Pharisee is that they were then understood to be separatists. Mm. They were in a better position than those ordinary pew sitters uh, of the time uh, Mm. who were assumed to not have any knowledge of the law and would just have been people that you pour the stuff into their brains. Thankfully, we don't have people like that in the pews anymore. Mm. That People are actually questioning what we're doing. And I'm so proud when we have congregational members who are able to reflect um, critically about worship, about God, about the scripture readings, about the prophetic utterance out of that, so that they do not swallow stuff that shouldn't be swallowed, but that they take from there, they discern from there what is of value for their lives Mm. in the relationship with God. But I think that given his determination to persecute those who followed the way um, because this was destructive to the pharisaic way to the message of the pharisees and to what mm. they were pro- and it probably also you know being separatists being any group that um, um, lindsay you would know you form a power base eventually become a sense of power to yourself and therefore yeah. Power base gives those who belong to it a sense of power and authority over others, um, and particularly because uh, that there's an assumed uh, set knowledge that you've acquired, so you can actually speak in 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 favour of the, the the sentiments of that group, and and so Paul was so devoted in that one of the things we can we pick up about him is devotion to this uh, being the Pharisee meant for him then to become the radical that was mm. going to destroy anything that stood in its way. And, um, and so his formation, therefore, his identity and all of that, in one of the letters later on, he would talk about that and how he then, because of his encounter with Jesus on the road to this Damascus, he counts all that as loss. Because he gained Christ in his life. So is Paul therefore saying. That the ultimate formation. As a person. Is an encounter with Jesus. Is an encounter with
2: the living Lord. And, and if so then. What does that say about. The Pharisee way.
1: Why when he was seeking to destroy a very new movement
2: Mm.
1: uh, whose leader was subsequently no longer physically present and who had, it would seem, the courage to talk on the run, to Mm. plant the seeds of the gospel whilst they were fleeing for their lives. And Paul went around to as many, because these people were still worshiping in the synagogues. They hadn't given up the synagogue Mm. worship whilst they were developing this thing. So how is it that St. Paul's formation takes us back to the road of Damascus? The light, a sudden light from heaven flashed around him and a voice spoke to him. Mm. That, that would change such a radical man. You say, I always wonder when the people use mathematical terms of change. Is it a, is it a 90 degree? Is it a 180 degree? Is it a three sixty degree? I don't know. I I, I keep hearing Hundred eighty means uh, a total change from one level, yes one particular position to another. Yes. Yeah. So, so three sixty 360 360 you, just... you go back to the place where you started. Yes.
0: <laughs> Which is the cycle of many people's lives. Uh, but interestingly enough, um, wouldn't if you were, if you were writing the story, um, or at least let, let me let me first draw draw this one it's it's all isn't it always the the worst who then or at least considered what society considers what 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 you get taught in the church to consider the worst you know the gangsters and the drug dealers and the murderers and then they have a procurement and then suddenly they are like the biggest advocates and like the, the extremists, but to the far other extremists, it's, it's always like that, isn't it?
1: I think I think there, there is that, that um, in terms of the public eye, but there's a lot more whose change would be radical in the immediate circles. Mm. Um, I know of somebody that I was called in to as a priest because of he, he the alcohol was getting to him. Mm. Affecting his home life and affecting his work, and his wife had the last straw. I went into him, into talking to him, and um, he's a very gentle and, and lovable person. Mm. But we didn't see the effects of what alcohol had done in the home and in the works. We only heard the narrative from his wife and children. And really, one, one pastoral visit that I did at that home, he said, so to me, when, we, when, I, when I was sort of at the end of the, don't worry, father, I am ready to change. Oh, wow. I met this man um, some years after that. Mm. His wife is still with him. Okay. They are, there's a happiness there that they didn't have before. His accommodation and the working together of his family made me realize that a conversion happened Mm. with this man. That his words to me, after the engagement I have, I don't even know what I said to him,
2: Mm.
1: made me see. And I could see the changes. I didn't immediately leave the congregation. But after some years, I could still see that that change was, was evident there. Yeah. So so yes, I do believe that there are those who are in the public eye, who when change does happen to them, they, they, they announce it, and hopefully people will begin to see that if he's able to change or she's able to change and become better people, then what about the rest of us? Mm. Um, but of course, there's always people who would say, about those who change in the public eye, um, it remains to be seen and experienced, mm. because people in public eye also know how to act uh, <laughs> acceptably for people. So, so yes, we're gonna we're gonna have to add. But I think you know, um, I none of us can be the judge of the other when they've announced change in their lives. Mm. Um, or a conversion experience. It's We must celebrate it. That that's what the intentions are. Mm. And if you're able to help, we should be able to help. But we must never um, now put them down uh, because we think we can't trust that change in yeah. them. I mean, people couldn't trust Paul's change. You know, uh, uh, although it says three days, he went to have himself baptized, and the guy that spoke to him where the scales fell off says, "Oh, that I don't, I don't know you like this. Mm. You know, I first get, I've got to know you before I can be sure that you will, yeah, will change. But yes, I, I do believe I have experienced people on both levels.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, it's also one, one of those, those, those strange things where, if like me from my secular mindset." If I was to be writing a story about a conversion, or at least an impactful story about some miracle that sets someone on their path that will then influence, like, or at least show the power of God, in air quotes, it, it would be to, like, take an extremist and have them flip completely. But the purest in me has a lot of respect for the idea of Paul, because he exists, uh, I mean, you could probably agree with me, uh, as an idea, um, because of all of the the uncertainty um, of the authorships and like all those sorts of things, Uh, because I like it when people commit wholly to their beliefs, where it's like, like I, I despise the the vegans yeah. who who buy the, the vegan sausage, you know? Because <laughs> it's like you gave that up. Like why, why don't why haven't you moved on beyond the the need to have sausage, the need to contribute to the fry? It's like you don't do this anymore. Live with your decisions, live with your beliefs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so so i i can re- i can respect paul that way and he went all the way to martyrdom um with, with mm. this new set of beliefs and and i respect that the person who did not the only apostle or disciple to b- die a peaceful death um john is also the author of of the gospel which is according to john 21 verses 1 to 19 and it's jesus's third Um, appearance to the disciples they all go fishing and he's like cast your nets on the other side and they pull up a lot and then he says cool bring your food and um, where is the line now verse 7 that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter it is the Lord when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea the where do you, which camp are you with the hotly contested, the disciple whom Jesus loved? Are you team John, or you team James, or you team Mary Magdalene?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let me point out that when you, when you, when you take sides, it could be very, very problematic because either side may have something of value. Uh, to help us, and that's maybe why we have to read everyone. Mm. <laughs> and the either side also may have things we perhaps do not want to, to value.
2: Yeah.
1: I want to point out though that John could point out Jesus to Peter. John had his eye on Jesus. And um, I think for me that's the first thing. His fear of focus on Jesus would that mean that he had a, he had a closer reflection a deeper reflection on who Jesus is and what Jesus means to our lives and so he would notice Jesus because he may have had a deeper um, reflective mind and insight to to Jesus so that's the first thing I want to point out I think the 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 second, Thing is that I want to point out. And I we we had this the other day in the meeting um, where we were listening to this whole thing about, you know, loving God. Um, uh, um, Jesus said one of the one of the passages of God, of, of John, um, that the world may know that I love the Father. Mm. So I often I then said to the person I was talking to, is it interesting that We often talk about, I confess my faith, I believe in God. But is believing in God also inclusive of how I love the Lord? Hmm. Is my expression of my faith and my trust in Him, like we did at baptism with our children, do you believe in trusting God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Is it also tantamount to, yes, I'm also saying I love the Lord? And so I want to to serve him. And of course, I must learn how to love and I've got to learn how to serve. Of course, I tend to fall short of all of that uh, far, far more. So did Jesus only speak to Peter when he was asking these questions? Or was the narrative saying to us, that question is pointed to all of us on a personal note. We have to, hear yeah, that question being asked to our hearts and why would Jesus ask do you love me more than mm. this why is let me put it like this why does God seek our love um why does God want to know whether my heart has got love for him on why why is love so crucial um because it has implications for how we treat other people. It brings us back to the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as you love yourself. And if we, if we truly say we love God, the implications for, our, for, for others, which includes creation, will be, will be evident because the love source that we are going to will help us on on the other side. Very difficult when we claim love for creation and for, for others, but we just perhaps do not see the necessity of looking at the creator who made this all possible. So I think that there's a real mystery of challenge there for me uh, and that love is relational, but love is also a personal expression, um, not just with words. You know, in Peter's struggle to say, "But Lord, why must I say it the third time?" You know, um, you know, just this whole thing about loving is a, a very difficult thing to say. I, in this discovery of expression of love. Is there a necessity to to the expression of love, the outward verbal expression of love? For those who can't verbalize stuff, is there another way to say, I love you? What gesture would go with that? But what's the implications of saying, I love you? Mm. I love God. What's the outcomes base of that? Um, what's the implications for for the for 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 my life when I make that admission? So, whose school and whose team am I on? Yeah. I suppose um, the team that is challenged to think about whether their faith is also about loving, whether their trust is about loving, and about learning how to let that question. Um, penetrate us, engage us on the inside and for us then to be able to say in expression, both verbally and in action how we carry that out. That's why we worship. So worshipping God um, uh, corporately is an act of love or should yeah. be an act of love in yeah. my view. I was still told-
0: I'm still very much team um, um, John here because of the idea that John uh, the re- romantic relationship um, theory between John and, and Jesus uh, which is I mean it's it's old territory we've, we've we've tread those waters before so so I won't go down there again but I think it's interesting that with with John in mind as the beloved disciple that he would actually insert himself into, his own gospels um, as many times as he has. I think it's up to six times that he refers to the beloved disciple. Um, and do you think that changes kind of the message that John was trying to convey then?
1: No, I think what it does do is to say that John, you know, John then becomes a witness for Jesus. Mm a witness of what a relationship with Jesus is like. Um, You know, um, I've learned, I don't know whether that practice is still right, but I've learned that when you lead a, a group and you are wanting the group to explore a particular, let's say a case study or to make an admission about something, then you don't ask who will start But as the leader, you take responsibility to put your things on the table For In other words, you become vulnerable. And so I think that John was writing also from a personal perspective of witness. Um, He's not writing just about Jesus and the things about Jesus and those who were attracted to Jesus and those who were not attracted to Jesus. But he's also saying, this is who I am in relation
2: to Jesus. Mm. Mm.
0: And I think I think that point is is, is a good one to, to close on today because the kind of brings it to full circle where um, there are pitfalls in combining your identity with your career. Like I learned the hard way as, as a practicing paid journalist, um, that at some stage you have to leave the office, you know, you can't be on all the time. Um where here you have a Paul who completely is said to yes. have changed his identity and then goes on to be a cornerstone of 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 the modern Christian church um yeah. through the epistles and spreading the word and all that sort of thing. And then you have a John who kind of doesn't draw the line between personal experience and the apostolic uh, experience um and he folds kind of all of that into the same narrative um and yeah i i i think that's a a great way to leave it like I know that there's a lot of listeners out there who are a little bit disappointed that we didn't have a full on argument about something. (laughs) And and I apologize to you. Um, But thank you very much for listening anyway. Uh, Thank you, Father, for, for another enlightening conversation.